Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patamaro, and Hats on Lambs. It's episode 117. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're doing our highly anticipated, long-awaited episode about cold hunt rares. Yeah, we are. Yep, we sure gave ourselves, I think, enough time to have experienced all the rares. And yet still, there are some rares that I haven't seen played because, you know, they're not playable. Before we get into that, we plug our Patreon here, which is uh, at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where you can give back a little to the show. And in return, you get a little thank you and a few perks here and there, like uh, access to the show notes and recording bloopers uh, when we have some. Uh, recently, though, we've been super tight on these episodes. No mistakes, as far as I can tell. And nothing funny. <laughs> so uh, thank you to D-Dub, John, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, Mercurial Blue, Abed Nago, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrich 0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yes Doubt. And uh, yeah, recently we've also had that super hidden perk of me not updating the name list. So I get the reader and you'll, you'll have your name read for in, in perpetuity. If you sign up to uh, to our Patreon, it's a really easy way to create a legacy if you're worried about that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for as little as a dollar for a single month, <laughs> you could have your name read on air for years, potentially. <laughs> it's something that you can show your children. <laughs> can you believe this just cost a buck? <laughs> and. <laughs> Anyway, we really appreciate everyone who does, <laughs> all actual supporters. <laughs> yeah, we do. Thank you. <laughs> so how was your draft week this week? It was fine. Uh, I'm not exactly dominating the format the way I used to like a year or two ago, whenever it was that I was like commonly in the in the first place position. But I still do. I still do just fine. I'm competitive. Uh, I have a take on the format that I think works often enough. I still sometimes it is it does feel like a swingy format where I can get a couple of seven wins in a row and then just go on a terrible streak of losses uh, in the next few drafts. So it's not consistent. Really depends on who I'm playing against that day. But uh, I'm, I'm satisfied with with where I'm at with it. I, I can still draft some pretty weird decks and succeed with them too, which keeps the format from being boring. I get bored with formats where it seems like there's one or two really good archetypes, and if I'm not drafting those, then I'm already in trouble. And this format doesn't feel like that to me. I think there's a lot of ways to succeed. Yeah. Do you think that is helped by the number of powerful cards? And so even if you have like a sort of a, a wonky strategy, as long as you can stick in a few core strong cards and it, are there a lot of strong cards in this format i, I think feel the, like there are yeah i think i mean i think the commons and uncommons are pretty powerful i think the draft pack commons are generally pretty powerful so i i guess i would agree with that it's not hard to come up with a, enough playables 
I think uh, that also makes it feel as though you can have a really good deck, but then also get trounced by somebody else who has a good deck. You both have good decks, and then whoever gets the better draw wins. I think that happens a lot more often than it does in a format where there's fewer good commons and you kind of know whether you have a good deck at the end of the draft or not. Right. Um, I think that can be frustrating for a lot of people who will post their their decks on the Discord and say, wow, this was an incredible deck. I just got buried. It's like, yeah, everyone else is trying to win too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, I always end up going back to this, and then my <laughs> I start complaining about it. My wife asks why I would play this game <laughs> uh, if I hate it so much. Um, it's just like where it does feel like that's been my experience with this format too, where my perception of my deck's strength does not exactly equate to how well I do with it. It feels way more related to what opponents I have. It does, yeah. Um, and when I when I play a lot of good opponents who draw well, my decks tend to do worse. <laughs> Interesting. And when I play opponents who seem to not draw as well, I tend to do better. Well, these are these are startling conclusions. <laughs> and so, but then it it really makes me question like my role in it, like uh, you know. For my draft week, I've had a pretty good draft week since we did our, our last episode with the help of Hatsman. Yeah, well, we can call upon him again sometime if you're still, if you're having trouble. But uh, we should people who followed the Discord know, but the, the deck that we drafted last time did go 7-2. Yes, and not all of them were from Disconnects. <laughs> no. Only one, right? Only one. The one that was on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We we won. Oh, right. I forgot that happened. Yeah. But then it went 7-2, uh, thanks to the handful of good cards that we were trying to draft around. But, like, that's what I mean. It's like, that did not feel like a 7-2 deck. We actually posted all the picks on the Discord, and a few people drafted along, and then posted what I would kind of consider stronger decks, but not strong decks. And yet that deck, you know, managed to go 7-2. It's, uh, and then since then, I've, I've done a lot more winning than I've done losing. I don't feel like my drafting strategy has changed. I don't feel like I'm doing anything different. But I am having significantly better results than last month where I couldn't win a game. Well, there may be something very subtle that you're doing differently. Or maybe uh, there's more people this month you're just getting matched up against uh, people this month who are slightly weaker or you're just getting lucky. I think those are all the main possibilities. Yes. Yeah. And I'm leaning really heavily <laughs> to number three here. So I did have a listener of the week this week. I, I've been meaning to do this for a few weeks and that is shout out Meavers, uh, who is a, a, a frequent contributor to our discord, but also a contributor to the main eternal discord and is just so helpful. Any new player that comes to the Discord, he immediately tries to build them a deck by going through their whole collection. He also has four children on top of this. So maybe I should also be thanking Mrs. Meavers for <laughs> all the help allowing Mr. Meavers to have time to be so helpful to everyone who needs help in Eternal. Because it's... I I think she'd probably really like it if you if you if you thanked her as Miss Mrs. Meavers. <laughs> 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 I 
That sounds great. <laughs> I assume that's his real name. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's her real name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to Meavers for really doing God's work, which uh, he mentioned he might be a priest. So I say that uh, okay. in every sense of the word, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so card of the week. Uh, I chose as my card of the week prize fighter, which is uh, uh, justice common in Cold Hunt. It costs four and one justice. It is a three-three unit, an oni, uh, and when you play a weapon on prize fighter, she gets life steal this turn. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this card very briefly because it's obviously a bad card, but I'm also puzzled by its very existence. In this set, there aren't a lot of weapons. It's not really an Oni set. And the the, the ability is so uh, restrictive. It's only playing... It's not Renown, where if you play a spell on Prize Fighter, uh, it gets lifesteal. And it, you have to... So you have to put a weapon on it. And, and Sniper is a perfectly fine uh, card. The plus one, plus one, and draw a card weapon. But it's like the only one, and there aren't a ton in the draft packs either. There's a few, but uh, but they're mostly the small ones that you're not really sure you should be playing unless you have a real theme going. Um, but the biggest problem with it is that in the draft packs, there are two cards that are so ob- obscenely better than Prize Fighter that there's no reason to even worry about putting a prize fighter in your deck, even if you very, very much want a card that occasionally has life steal because you put a weapon on it. There's the there's the three three paladin that um that costs three for one thing and not four. It costs three, and then when it has uh, plus then when it has more attack, when it has four or more attack, it always has life steal. So you can get that by putting a weapon on it. You can get that by playing a trick on it. You can get it with war cry. There's a lot of ways to give that thing life steal. It's been a really good common for a long time, and it's boosted in the draft pack, so you see it all the time. Uh, and then the other one is Copper Hall Marshall, which is another three three for three. So no shortage of those. Um, and uh, its ultimate ability is when you play a weapon on it, it stuns an enemy unit, which is most of the time better than getting lifesteal for a turn. Uh, the fact that they boosted both of those, knowing that they just made prize fighter, seems very weird. Because it just basically means that Justice doesn't have a common in that slot, because why would you ever put a prize fighter on the board, um, given that there are so many good alternatives? Yes. Yeah, the... The only thing that I can think of is this was just a way to depower justice a little bit. Yeah, and and that makes sense to me, but I would rather that they print something that does something unique um, but isn't a strong card rather than just print a card that's clearly inferior to everything. Yeah, because it's really fascinating uh, for me with, like, the justice cards because – Justice is our most common faction in our spreadsheet and just has some really powerful, uh, really powerful commons. But then it also has two of the worst commons in Prize Fighter and the, I forget its name, Know Thy Enemy or something. The It's the four stall that costs one more and doesn't draw you a card. 
Yeah, it's keep your distance. Keep your distance, like which is almost unplayable. It's real bad for sure. I've had it cast against me, and it was okay in that one uh, circumstance because I wasn't expecting it. But yeah, it costs way too much for what it does, and it's so limited. And also, the only thing that it does that other similar spells don't do is that it gives um, the unit void that you're bound. casting it on void bound, and that would be super relevant maybe in a format where there was any way to get it, things out of the void, but not this format. Yeah, and it's like, and you know, there is revenge in this format, but you're not like willing to spend four. <laughs> you're like still down a card then if you're just using yeah. it to give a revenge unit. That void. does that does work on revenge. I did I forgot about that, but yeah, it's not it's not worth it. Um, there's so many other ways of dealing with basically every card. Yes. So. Yeah, so I that's all I can think of is like they gave two justice two really really bad commons to make up for their really good commons. Uh, I yeah, I think so. I just wish that they had found a different way of doing it. Yes. Uh, because every time they print something that is that's just bad, it makes a blank spot in in the in the pack that you open first and that's I, I don't see any positive side to that i'm sure there's been plenty of articles written for like why there are bad cards in magic the gathering and all of that um and i uh, I, I i disagree with them whatever they say <laughs> they, they should all of the cards should be at least fringe playable they shouldn't just be worse versions of other cards yes especially when those other cards are in the format yes yeah if they're printed in the same set or if they're planning to boost them in the draft packs. It's just silly. Yeah, I agree. So what's, what's your card of the week? My card of the week is Volunteer Corps. And uh, this is the colorless, two-cost, zero-two Valkyrie that says, Contract two, draw a sigil of your choice from your deck. Ultimate, pay six to to give Volunteer Corps flying and plus one attack for each type of influence you have. So, so why is Volunteer Corps on your mind? Well, it's on my list today because uh, I, um, as often my card of the week is, I, I got into an argument on the main Discord about, <laughs> about Volunteer Corps and how good it is. And I continue to firmly be in the camp that I am happier than not to never play a volunteer core. While Northern Polarity uh, was saying, wanted to, there was someone was doing a draft and it was like the third pick. They had two like, okay cards, first and second. And then, and then in this third pick, there was a volunteer core and it wasn't a great pack, but there was a, there was a Oni Ford Smith. And I think the next best card might've just been, um, the primal common, the spell hammer or something. And they wanted to take volunteer core. And I was like, even in a weak pack like this, I would still take forge Smith or spell hammer <laughs> over volunteer core. Uh, Northern polarity was saying that volunteer core has gone up for him as he started to play more two faction decks with a splash or full on three faction decks. And he felt like, most or he said 20 to 30 percent of three faction decks including two faction and a splash require a volunteer core to function 
power wise. And I was like, I would rather play two faction if my third faction required me to play a volunteer core. I don't know exactly where I fall on it. Uh, I like volunteer core better now than I did at the start of the format, but I don't like playing it um, unless I need to. Uh, that's for sure. It's no Bannerman because Bannerman does a very similar thing, but also gives you a relevant body right away. This thing is is absolutely useless when it first comes down. It's a zero two, and its ability is expensive. Like to search for um, it's to search for another card is a contract of two, which really slows you down if you do it early in the game, and that's often when you want to be uh, doing it is because you're uh, you're trying to fix your power so your next few turns flow smoothly, and they're not going to flow smoothly because you have to skip your turn three because <laughs> um, you played a volunteer core. Uh, it's fine if you're if you draw it late and you're looking for your splash color. Um, and of course, it, it's a threat on its own if you're playing four or five uh, factions, because then it turns into a real beater in the air. Uh, but I don't pick them up early because I don't always play multi-faction decks. I do just fine with two-faction decks in this format, um, and I think most of my decks end up two-faction, actually. The the silly, sort of splashy four-faction ones sometimes are fine. I They... They they play pretty well for me, but I'm not looking to get into them because I don't think they're fundamentally more powerful than the two-faction decks. So Volunteer Corps is more of a card that I like to pick up um, if there's nothing else in the de- in the pack that's clearly good or uh, if I already know that this is going to be a mess of a draft that I'm going to need fixing. Yes, and that's kind of where I am. I just think... What I would consider a good card is maybe a low bar where like, even if I'm thinking I might go into three faction, I still feel like I would rather do it off of inscribe, like even like a spell hammer, like a Jotun spell hammer and just like six cross four, four with ages. I'm like, I I would pick up a, I would pick up a volunteer core over a spell hammer. I think it's a better card. Um, Spellhammer's fine, but it's small for its cost, and I don't consider it one of the better inscribed cards. Oh, yeah. I consider it a, a fine inscribed card because it's, you know, it, it it is small for its cost, but either people are playing, I don't know. I feel like people are either playing time where they're bigger than it, of course, or they're not, and then they just have, like, a lot of three threes or, or whatever on the board. And then... Yeah, that can happen, but I don't know. It come, usually comes down late enough that I'm not... I don't know. I'm not worried about my opponent playing Jotun Spellhammers, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like... Yeah, Spellhammers always like that thing where I have, like, Stormblast in hand, and then uh, my opponent plays a Spellhammer, and I'm like, of course. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But any six-cost card would be bigger. would be big enough to survive a Spellblast. No, Almost that's anything. not true. Only times. Both the shadows would die to it. Uh, yeah, but they would still hurt you pretty bad the turn they come down. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> still happy to kill their 3-4 unblockable. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just interesting to hear where people would take it. Because I think, for me, with Volunteer Corps, like, I never get them because where I would take them, they never appear. Y- you know what I mean? Like... 
I just, it would be, I would be hard pressed to pick one in the first, like four or five picks, usually with the card quality in cold hunt. And then afterwards, because they're an uncommon, they often don't show up. Like I'm happy if I got a, I'm happy if I got a volunteer core 10th or 11th, because then I'm like, oh, this opens up some possibilities, but I'm never going in early thinking, oh, I want to be three plus factions necessarily. And I would rather just get the powerful cards first and then worry about figuring out how to play them afterwards. And while I think Northern Polarity was saying they would pick it over every common, but like the top three or four commons, like, uh, like they would pick, like, except for Steering Fist, Chloric Mix, and, you know, the top couple, they would pick a Volunteer core, And that, that is another I, extreme where I'm not. I, I think that Volunteer core isn't a Seek Power. I think if it were a Seek Power, I would pick it up much higher. I think it's a much weaker card than Seek Power. Yes. That's the thing about it, is that it does fix power. I just think it's one of the worst ways to fix power that that we've ever seen yes. <laughs> um sure that, it turns into a flyer uh however like a four power seek uh, like a, a four cost seek power is pretty bad yes i agree and i just think like for me you know kind of like what you said about Jotun spellhammer where we have had totally different experiences with that facing that one if my opponent plays volunteer core on two I am always happy. Sure. You know what I mean? And that, to me, makes it a weak card. If if I'm not, like, happy to play it when I draw, draw it, then why am I playing this in my deck? However, if, you, if someone plays a volunteer core on turn five uh, and you already know they're playing four factions then it's fine. Then it's a good card because yeah, the next I turn, mean, it is okay. it's coming but, at you. But you're still like, they just spent four to play this and draw a sigil. And then they're spending another six to give it, you know, they're taking two turns off to then play a four, two flyer, which is still quite an investment. Like, yeah, and then it's it, usually it, not hard to deal with. Plus, with uh, as many relic weapons as there are in the format, um, it's it's sometimes not even card advantage because you can just sort of walk over it with a with a stonebreaker bow or something. Yeah, and then even when it's a four two flyer or whatever, like if you're in prime, like there's just a lot of two attack flyers in the format too, and you're like, well, I just traded my three drop with their. 10 drop yeah <laughs> but it did draw them a power yeah well i can see why it would be a divisive card uh, i think it really tests the limits of of how bad a card can be and still be considered value you know right. um <laughs> like sure you always want to take the value card but at what point is it just not costed well enough for what it does all right Cool. Well, that, I think that was two interesting discussions. Uh, we'll move on to our seven-win run breakdown. We're mostly today going to just give a shout-out about it. Um, it's our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners can send in their seven-win drafts to farmingeternal at gml.com or post them to the seven-win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported deck list or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. 
And then we take this information for from our listeners and compile it into a spreadsheet and do some data analysis on it. I post in the spreadsheet like the top commons, uncommons, and rares that are appearing the most. Um, it also lists uh, a bunch of other information in there. And usually we give a shout out. I didn't give John Holio uh, uh, enough warning for this episode for him to update the name. So we'll do that next episode. Uh, but I did want to give a shout out to everyone who submits a list. We are now, this has definitely been our most exciting and active format we've ever had. Uh, we are at 755 lists from 91 unique contributors. Uh, yeah, there's got to be some statistically significant stuff in there. Yeah, so I, I think that's uh, pretty cool. Um, it's pretty exciting about how many people are taking the time uh, to post their lists and stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, we're far enough into the format where most people can kind of just give it a glance and see and, you know, take in what they want to take in from the spreadsheet. You know, uh, Justice has solidified itself as the number one color with Primal and Shadow in like a tier right below that and then Time and Fire in a tier right below that. So the biggest mover as the format has progressed is sort of Fire going down and Justice continuing to rise. That's probably why I kind of hit the ground running on this format, as I pegged Justice as being the best uh, faction, um, and I kind of was staying away from Fire a little bit because I wasn't having success with it. I wasn't sure exactly why it was as popular as it seemed to be. Not that it's bad. It's just uh, there were a lot of weaknesses in it, and I wasn't having... I, I, I just... Uh, and, I just had so many bad experiences right off the right off the top of the format with it that I thought, well, I gotta wait and like figure out how to make fire good. Whereas a lot of people seem to just draft as much stone stone scar as they could and just hope that they could roll over everyone. Uh, and I guess they did well enough, uh, but to for them to keep doing it. But um, it just wasn't my experience at all. I think I've drafted stone scar less than almost anything in this format. Um, despite it's sort of like some people will just be like, you know what, I just take every Stonebreaker bow every single time, and that's how I draft. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Actually, Stone Scar, you know, has not been great for me necessarily. Um, the top three colors, actually, for, for me, are, or the top three color pairs in our spreadsheet are Argentport, Huru, and Rakano. And I, I would say I probably draft those three colors the most, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not that fire is bad. I just don't think it's... Uh, I, I just have to be convinced that it's open before I'm really excited about it. Yes, I agree. And fire really depends a lot on getting, like, the sort of... It's core power cards in... Um, in cold hunt where it has a few a couple really good commons and captain and searing fist and then you need to really rely on your draft packs to get the the sort of the early part of your curve going so it's a bit finicky yeah whereas with justice you you can have a good deck by the time you're done with pack one pretty easily yeah and then uh, the only other card I wanted to really shout out is Unseen Marksman, which is just 
probably our highest performing card in the spreadsheet. There's like more copies of Unseen Marksman than any time common. Uh, which is, yeah. Yeah. And it's a dual faction common. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so, yeah. And it's crazy. People are will splash it and have four of them in their deck as a two drop. So it it um, people are doing that and it bears itself out in the spreadsheet as doing as being a very powerful card. It's a mean little card. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say this week. So we'll move on to our main topic. Pats, take it away. Oh, well, we're talking about rares. And I think we're going to do this a little differently than we have in the past. Uh, We've had a couple of formats where the rares have, have seemed overly powerful or sort of unbeatable. And I wanted to do kind of a, a countdown where we count down the uh sort of just just complain basically i wanted to complain about the rares <laughs> uh and complain about the the worst ones last and with cards like manacles and severin in the format it made sense because they were so obnoxious and and so difficult to beat and uh, and it really felt like uh getting lucky with the rares was a big factor in how successful you would be I don't think this format feels that way. There are good rares, definitely. There's some powerful ones, but there's very few where I just feel broken by them if my opponent plays them. It's just sort of like, oh, well, that was a powerful card, and now I'm going to have to reevaluate how this game is going. Um, but there's very few of them that that I where I feel like, oh, there's just no way of dealing with this card, and or like they come down and just immediately the entire game is about them. So. I figured it would be better to just look at our spreadsheet, see which ones are performing well, and see if I agree with how well they're doing. Uh, because when I tried to make a list of which rares I think are the best in this format, they came out pretty close to the way the spreadsheet tells us they do. So um, uh, so I figured we'd do that. Uh, we could just run down uh, which uh, rares are performing well in the in the in the many deck lists that we've received, uh, and then I can talk about uh, whether any good rares are missing from that list, or if uh, or if the order seems wonky or whatever in my experience. So this takes away the part where I uh, count down to the absolute like scourges of the format. Uh, part of the part of the rare, the, the whole reason people look forward to it. Uh, that's gone. Uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> but <laughs> well, well, I'll still complain about the rares that seem overpowered for sure. <laughs> um, I just don't feel as strongly about them as I normally do. And part of that is that the best rares in the format, for the most part, are actually costed appropriately for a change. They are dual faction. They require a lot of commitment to those factions. So when they're played against you, it, it kind of feels like the your opponent earned it to some degree. Like they took a risk. Uh, they took a risk with their power base or they picked that up early and drafted around it or something. So it it's like, okay, it's fine if you get to play this this big impressive rare because at least you had to you had to put in a little effort. Unlike something like uh, Manacles or Severin, where it's just like, well, I saw it and I drafted it and then I played it without any problems whatsoever. Yes. So, so let's get started. <laughs> I agree. 
Um, and then I think we'll, we will try to use our little test of, of whether we would pick it over Brigade Hall, what we consider the top uncommon of the format, which is the three cost relic that gives you a three, three, and then allows you to pay five to give a unit plus three, plus three and endurance for the turn. Yeah. All right. So some of our lists will have longer and shorter ones because some of the colors have not many good rares and some have quite a few good rares. So with uh, the fire top rares, I think there are two standouts uh, in the spreadsheet and that is uh, Wyatt Trashman, which is the five fire fire four four with inscribe reckless revenge, pay three to draw a card at the end of your turn, discard it, and then Oni Insider, uh, two fire three one, contract one, kill an attachment on an enemy or create and draw a Warhelm. Yeah, those are the only good fire rares. There's others that are fine, but you wouldn't take them over Brigade Hall. Um, and I would take both of these over Brigade Hall. Wyatt is uh, pretty good. It's what it, so I, I'm gonna. This is gonna come up again and again because uh, a lot of the rares do have inscribe on them, and inscribe is maybe the least flavorful <laughs> keyword they've ever put on anything. Because I don't know what it's supposed to represent at all in the game. Uh, and it seems like the rares have it at at complete random. It's not like it doesn't have anything to do with what the card does. Just sometimes it's a sigil. Uh, it does make cards better. Uh, it, I think why it would be a much worse card if you couldn't sometimes inscribe it. But it's a good card. We're just going to have to ignore inscribe the half the time because it's just another word on the card that makes a card better. Anyway, uh, Wyatt Trashman uh, does draw cards. You can pay three to draw a card, and uh, sometimes you can also play it. It has revenge, which means it's super hard to deal with. Uh, and of course, having reckless means uh, that it um, that you don't have as much control over the board uh, with this card as you would with something that doesn't have to attack every turn. But also, there's not very many things that can block a 4-4 in this format. Uh, without trading, so uh, it, it's totally fine for it to be attacking every turn. You're putting pressure on your opponent, and fire decks in this format definitely want to keep putting pressure on your opponent. Um, I think Wyatt and Oni Insider are pretty close in power level, not that you ever have to choose between them. If I had to, I like Oni Insider better because it's cheaper, and also being able to kill attachments on an enemy in this format are, are decent, because sometimes you have to kill a Brigade Hall. Most of the time, you're going to make the Warhelm. That's the um, that's the one cost weapon that gives a unit uh, charge and war cry. Most of the time, you want that because your opponent hasn't played any attachments, and you're playing this on turn two or turn four if you want to attack with it that turn. Uh, but I like an Oni Insider a lot, actually, as a rare. I'm happy to see it because it's sort of like, oh, great! Uh, Fire has a hard time coming up with two drops in this format, and this one's a, this one's a demon. It uh, it does a lot. Yes. Yeah, I, I like both of these cards, and I would pick, I guess, both both of them over Brigade Hall. It's a little tricky for me because I think, for me personally, I would probably take Brigade Hall over Oni and Cider. Um, and then I would take Wyatt Trashman over Brigade Hall, but only because I... I Wyatt Trashman's kind of a f more fun card a little bit. You know, it's kind of has a unique effect, a, a unique play pattern. 
Um, and so I don't know if that's not necessarily speaking to their all their relative power levels, but just like, you know, part of me just likes playing with fun cards. Yeah, and that's part of it for me. Anytime I say I'm going to take something over Brigade Hall, I want to play with cards other than Brigade Hall occasionally. Um, <laughs> so there is that factor to some degree. I think, like, strictly speaking, I would probably take, if I'm in a tournament, I'm going to take Brigade Hall over either one of these because I think Justice is that much better than Fire. But I do think Oni Insider is a strong enough card to start your draft with. So yes, I'm perfectly happy doing that. Why it's a more fun card, but I again, I think Oni is cheaper and just yes. as versatile. So I'm perfectly happy to. I'm I'm happier with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just one clarifying point: the the. The inscribe on Wyatt is part of the five cost double influence uh, rare cycle. So every color has one random unflavorful inscribe card. Yeah. Okay. So so it's pattern, but it doesn't make any more sense particularly. No, not not at all. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. So those are I think are the top fire rares. There are a couple others that I like. I do like the one that exhausts. You know, you can exhaust enemy units or your units and deal damage or draw treasure droves. Um, that doesn't sound like a real card. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a real card. Oh, the spell that lets you exhaust up to three of your own units. Or and, enemy units. Or enemy units? And if you exhaust enemy units, you deal damage to them. Okay. It's better than you... There's too many oh, words on it. No, there are too many words on it. Exhaust up to three ready units. Deal one damage to the enemy player for each enemy unit exhausted this way. Create and draw a treasure trove for each of your units... For each of your units exhausted this way. I see. So you can use it as a way of breaking through your opponents. And dealing extra face damage. Stuff. So it, it's it's a surprising card. It is a surprising card. I'm still not convinced it's good, but I might try playing with it just because I've never, ever seen anyone cast it. I've never cast it. And it does seem like... I think it does two different things. You don't want to do both of those things on the same turn. You don't want to exhaust some of your opponent's units and the, and exhaust your own unit on the same turn because you want to be attacking that turn. Yeah. So it's either a card that draws you a bunch of treasure troves or it's a card uh, that breaks through for the for an alpha strike at the end of the game. Yes, and I'm is, usually hoping it's that that, that option. Yeah, you kind of want to end the game rather than draw some cards and draw it out if you're playing Fire, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting. And plus it kills Relic Weapons because it does direct damage to opponent's face. I don't know. Yeah, I can see it being okay. Still not first picking it ever, but... Um, no, I, I agree. And uh, Scavenging right. Terror, which is the 8-8 eight, eight Flyer for 8, uh, I don't think that's a good card, but it's a fun card. Yes, that is just so expensive for what Fire is often trying to do in this format. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, people play it, I've lost against it, but I don't think it's where you want to be. All right, time rares. Time is uh, the color that seems to have quite a few rares. So I'll go with the top four in the list in, the, in their order. And that is Expedition Gear, um, which is the the six-cost time relic. Uh, that says your units have plus one, plus one. When you play a unit without battle skills, it gets plus one, plus one. Contract six, play a one, one explorer and a one, three trail runner with charge. Yeah, it's a good 
card, uh, especially because it's splashable and it is a Horn of Plenty that makes a couple of units when it comes down. Of course, you basically have to skip your next turn when you do that, but you probably stabilized. I do think it's good. I don't know how excited I am or ever am to have an Expedition gear, but it's a good card. Yes. Yeah, I think this card is maybe one of those cards where I'm way off where the rest of the community is. Because, uh, like, uh, people talk about this, like, they just want to pick it so they can, because they'll definitely splash it in all their decks and stuff. And I'm like, eh, I'm, like, happy to play it, but I'm not going, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. Well, I've always been a little bit less excited about Horn of Plenty than uh, most folks have been. Uh, it, it, Horn of Plenty is certainly a playable card, but I'm not excited when I see one the same way that uh, people seem to be. Where it's like, oh, Horn of Plenty, great, I'm going to draft around that now. Uh, definitely going to play it. Like, I feel like uh, any relic that doesn't affect the board directly, or well, I guess, I mean, any, th- any card that can't win the game on its own, it, it has to prove itself to me. And... Horn of Plenty does literally nothing on its own. It requires other cards. And those cards are common because they're units. But it is taking up a slot in your deck that could be a card that actually does something on its own. So Expedition Gear solves that problem by handing you two cards that work with it. (laughs) Which is pretty good, but they are also very small units. They're a 3-3 and a 2-4. And the fact that it has charge is meaningless because you're cost, you're casting this on turn six at the earliest. Yes, and taking your next turn off. And taking your next turn off. It's not a good tempo card, yeah. And, well, I mean, it's a good tempo card if you've got, if you're at parity with your opponent and this pushes it over so you can make attacks now because your units are now bigger. Um, it's a much better card if you have a bunch of stuff on the board already, obviously. Uh, so anyway, I do think it's, I, I do think it's good enough to first pick over any uncommon, but just barely. I'm not as excited about it as some folks. Yes, yeah, and that's I. That's where I am too. I, I guess is I. I also don't think it's the best time rare. I think there's a couple of cards that are that are stronger. Yes, I I, I agree with that too. I just think people really underappreciate how much of a tempo loss it is to take two turns off. Because there's just like a few cards in this format with really expensive contract costs. And even when they do a lot, it's still a huge cost. Um, Yeah, the best ones are the ones where they have so much board presence uh, that it's you don't need your next turn because you basically played a card that took two turns for you. So then the next card on the list is Field Medic, which is the three time time three three with Ambush and Valor. Contract two, Field Medic is invulnerable to damage this turn and you gain life equal to the total number of units. Yeah, this thing is mean. I I would say this is the best time rare and my personal nemesis (laughs) in the format. Uh, It's hard to play around almost impossible really uh if if you it and it's incredibly versatile because you if you play it on turn three to block your opponent's three drop and kill it um that's 
fine. Uh, it, it's one of those. Th- I mean, that's you're taking off your next turn to do that because the contract is fairly expensive, but also you're up a card. Uh, you still have a three three because this can't die the turn that it ambushes something. Um, also, and you can always just play it as a three three ambush without playing the contract and kill their two two or something. That's also a perfectly fine thing to do. You're not required to play the contract later in the game if you gain a bunch of life and you have an indestructible blocker, that's usually a huge swing. And uh, there's no playing around it at all unless you have a way of discarding something from their hand directly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it has Valor. Yeah, and it has Valor. It's impossible to block once it starts attacking. Yeah, it's real good. It doesn't even need Valor. Like, I forget that it has Valor because it doesn't need it at all to do what it does very, very well. I know. It doesn't need to be a good... it doesn't need to be a good attacking unit as well as a ridiculous defensive unit. Yes, I agree. And that's the I the Valor thing is like the most surprising because with all of its text, you're like, oh, this is like a good defensive unit. And then you're like, oh, no, this is also an incredible offensive unit, um, which I think is why it's so good. It can it can two for one your opponent and get in um, and be a nightmare for your opponent. Yeah, it's real good. Um, and it has ambush. Like, even if you just ambush it at the end of your turn, your opponent's not expecting you to play a 3-3 that attacks for four on turn three. You know, they take their turn, and then you just drop this, and then you attack in on your next turn. It's And in sort of the worst case for it, if your opponent is, say, racing you in the air or, or something along those lines, you can still just play this and gain a bunch of life. Yes, exactly. All right. And then after that is Evelina, which is the five time time four three charge inscribe valor. When Evelina hits the enemy player, create and draw a five five dinosaur with overwhelm. And I have, I sort of feel contractually obligated to say that this card is good, but it doesn't play out well for me. Uh, and so I don't actually value it that high. Uh, it's a good card. Uh, obviously, if it connects, it's a nightmare and it sort of snowballs. But you do have to still pay five to make that dinosaur. And you can't do that until the next turn because you you made Evelina this turn. And Evelina is expensive. And also, it doesn't have Overwhelm. So you, it can be blocked by any random Grenadin. Uh, I found that Evelina is is good but sort of not exciting uh, in a weird way, because it almost never makes actually makes a dinosaur. <laughs> um, and yeah, then your it hand does... is filled with them. Yeah, you've got That's... a ton of dinosaurs in your hand, and you're only casting one a turn for the rest of the game. So you'll probably win if you're in that situation. I just think it's not that easy to make that situation happen. I'm not saying don't pick Evelina and play it. It has Inscribe. Uh, it, it's very strong. Your opponent can't really afford to let it connect um, but, uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't, um, I would actually put it below, uh, two of the two, two more t- of times rares in, in, in sheer power level here. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little higher on Evelina. I just think I, I agree with almost most of your assessment where I've played this a few times and, Hardly ever played any five fives, but I don't know, just a, 
a 4-3 charge Valor with Inscribe ends up being pretty good. Okay. And your opponents are so scared of the 5-5 five, five dinosaurs, they go wildly out of their way to deal with this card. Yeah, I think that's been... My my experience when my opponent plays an Evelina against me is unless we're very much stalemated, I can kind of ignore the fact that they're now going to be able to make five fives. Like, whatever the situation was, like, if I'm a little bit ahead, then I can just let Evelina hit me and then just keep A-spacing until they're dead. You know, because right. they're they're not gaining the ability to do anything else except put down five fives now. Yes. Otherwise, they've and, got to leave Evelina back. And they feel contractually obligated to t- keep attacking with Evelina. Yeah. Um, and so they're and then if you can deal with the five five, they just spent their turn playing. You know, they once again have no blockers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's not that Evelina isn't a strong card. It's it's just sort of. It just sort of rarely does what you think it's going to do. Yeah. Man, I, I all I wanted to do is hit for four. Yep. Oh, yeah, it does that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, all right. And so then the next card on uh, the spreadsheet is Civ Desert Herder, which is the four time, 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 three, two with revenge. Contract two, play a one, one deadly scorpion or give a unit killer. And this, uh, I'm much higher on than I think some folks are. I, even though it costs three time, and so it's kind of a big commitment, I think it's worth it. Because uh, I would take this over Expedition Gear, actually. And it's because Sieve is a card with Revenge and Killer, if you want her to be. And that's already really in, intense. <laughs> like, <laughs> um because well, like that's one of the big combos in the it, the big classic combos in Eternal is giving killer to something with revenge. So when it comes back, it gets to kill another thing. Steve does it by herself. Uh, and if you don't need, if if there's nothing on the board that you can kill with a three two with killer, uh, you can just make the scorpion, or you can just make uh, you can give anything on the board killer which is often is something huge because you're in time um or else you can just give sieve killer uh not kill anything with her right away uh kind of like hope that she dies at some point and then when she comes back she makes a scorpion or she gives something else killer when she comes back it's just like a stupid amount of value for one card it is uh it was like shocking to me when I I learned that Siv could give herself killer. Yeah. I, I think I played and played against it, just like assuming that that was not possible, that it was another unit. But the fact that the play pattern of play her, give her killer, kill one of your units, she revenges, you give another unit killer, and now you have two killers on board. And this was all done with one card. Yeah, she wouldn't even need to be able to make a scorpion for her to be an amazing card. But, you know, sometimes you want a scorpion. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Yeah, the only thing that's slightly tough, like you said, is the fact that she's triple time. But, you know, time is always a little heavy uh, influence-wise, and there's inscribed in this format, so getting high influence costs is not always impossible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also she doesn't need to be played on turn four. Uh, it, whenever you have the three times, she'll show up and be very, very useful. Yes, exactly. All right, and then those were the top four. And then number five on our spreadsheet is uh, Kuno Chronomancer, which is the five time time four four with ambush. Contract three, put a card from your void on top of your deck. And this isn't a super powerful card in terms of numbers. Like 4-4 four, four ambush is fine. It is something that you kind of want to play again around if you're playing against somebody uh, who just leaves power up on their turn five, um, just so you don't get blown out by this. Uh, but even though it's a rare, sometimes it's like, you know, the only card they could possibly be playing at this point is Kuno. I might as well play around it. But, uh, and I really like using my void as a library. Uh, and it, cards that sort of let you reuse your best card are good. But of course, this doesn't draw you the card. It puts it on top of your deck, so it's not inherent card advantage. Uh, it would be nuts if it actually drew the card. Uh, it doesn't, but still, it's a strong card, and I'm happy to put Kuno in my deck. I don't know if I honestly take it over uh, Brigade Hall, though. Uh, I think Brigade Hall... Uh, is card advantage by itself um it makes a three three and then everything that you have from now on is a huge threat so uh i probably would take it over over kuno but um if i'm in the mood to play something fun instead of you know being as cutthroat as i possibly can Kuno's a fine first pick yes yeah i agree i think kuno plays better than it reads because like all of its abilities you're like oh eh, that's kind of meh but the fact that it has that versatility uh, ends up, like I said, making it better than than it reads. And there's not very many other ways of getting something out of your void and using it again. So kind of nice that there's uh, one card that lets you do that. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, and like I said, I, I think there are a number of powerful cards in this format. And so sometimes you can have a game winning card in your void and then play it a second time and really win the game with it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I agree with your assessment. I think the first four cards we talked about, I would probably take over Brigade Hall. And then Kuno is sort of below that threshold for me. Yeah. All right. On to Justice. Justice starts with a few bangers here. Number one is Hojin, Beloved Son, the five Justice Justice Paladin with Inscribe as its only ability, but there are a few more words. At the end of your turn, double the attack and health of one of your units with less attack than Hojin. Yeah, uh, it's it's good. Um, it's it makes it makes all of your small units relevant. It's sort of a, an awkward size, so you usually can't like make anything really big <laughs> like it you turn your three threes into six sixes and that's basically what it does uh but the fact that it makes every at least you don't have to spend power on it just does it automatically it does it at the end of your turn so it's very hard to stop it from happening at least once and uh you know in a pinch you're going to inscribe it but probably it's the best card in your deck so you don't want to yeah and <laughs> i i also think that it's a good stable a surprisingly good stabilizing card because a lot of Justice's cards have really high health and and maybe low attack. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, obviously, like, if you put this on, put it on That's a refugee, five. and all of a sudden it's a 610. You know, like, no one's yep. ever getting through that. 
no, they're going to have to come up with hard removal for that. Yeah, and this even makes like the the crappy draft pack, you know, uh, three cost one three with endurance life steal. All of a sudden, it's a a two six with endurance life steal, and then next turn it's a four six or a four twelve, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this bad card is suddenly very very menacing. Yeah, Hojin is. Uh, I I do think that Hojin is Justice's best rare. Um, and one of the better rares in the format. Uh, yes. And it's just like a must kill. Um, because your opponent needs to put no power into it. For It's the- a little bit like an expedition gear, um, except uh, s- stronger. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Uh, then next is Helena Sky Guide, Scourge of Expedition. And draft, it is a three, justice, justice, three, four, flying endurance, contract three, give another unit, plus three, plus four, flying and endurance this turn. Yeah, Helena is one of the cards where, even more than Hojin, weirdly, even though I think Hojin is still a better card, uh, where if I see it in the rare slot, I don't even look at the rest of the pack. I'm just like, oh, great, Helena, take. Um, (laughs) Good. I'll make my entire deck much, much better. Uh, so Helena has endurance, and so she she really dominates the board. If someone attacks into Helena, you're like, mm, they probably have a trick. But still, they probably won't because they don't have a trick that can get through a three four. Uh, but it's also that she's so huge for her cost. She's a three four for three already, and then she has flying and endurance. Uh, she wouldn't even need the ability to make another unit hit very, very hard on the turn that she comes in, but she does have that ability. So, yeah, just a excuse me, just a super solid card. Yeah, and unlike a card, not to keep bringing up expedition gear, but like, you know, like this is a card where when you pay the contract cost, like she since she gives the unit that you're contracting. Um, endurance they're still able to block so it's not like you're leaving yourself open by spending all of this power you know contracting and attacking for a lot of damage you're still allowed to like play her deal a lot of damage and be defensive against any counterattacks, which is i think a pretty strong aspect to her yeah and there are a lot of uh sort of cheap units in the current uh, version of the format with these with these draft packs where if they make contact once they're they're doing a good job like there's cards that uh there's cards that will draw a card when they hit your opponent there's cards that will will draw a card when they attack there's cards that will grow when they hit your opponent and so um there and but there's not a ton of ways to make a card unblockable or give it flying for a turn helena is a good body that also uh, lets an opponent lets a unit um, attack freely for a turn. So even if you're not like winning the game with it that turn, you're still getting that one attack that you needed through. Yes. All right. Then next is Spire Loyalist, which is the six Justice Justice four six, flying lifesteal valor and inscribe. I like this because it's just sort of like a classic bomb. It's like, hey, it's a huge flyer that is impossible to race. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) I know. This is like, I I feel like I lose to this card more than any other rare. And I don't think it's like better than the other rares, but it's 
it's like the number one rare where you're like, I'm winning this game. There's nothing my opponent can do <laughs> to turn this around except maybe like a harsh roll. And then they play Spire Loyalist and you're like, never, never win <laughs> this game. Yeah. 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 You have to be able to kill it. It's uh it's it's pretty good. I will inscribe this thing though, because you know, sometimes sometimes uh you're going to have other uh, big expensive cards and you need to be able to play them on time. So you inscribe this, but uh, no, obviously you want to just make this on six and then win the game with it. Yes. And um, yep. And then the final card we wanted to talk about is Argent Port Noble, which is the two justice, justice three, two with lifesteal contract three silence an enemy unit or relic with cost three or less. Yeah. Uh, Because this can sort of, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a two for one uh, to some degree. Like if you silence a brigade hall, for example, you did pretty good. Yes. And uh, there's a handful of other sort of cheap utility creatures that uh, this can kind of take out. And it's a very good two drop. Three two life steal is good. Uh, of course, it uh, you have to play justice justice in order to do that. But yeah, just this good. another solid little card. Uh, I don't know. I can't honestly say that I would take it over Spire, Spire Loyalist and certainly not over Helena or Hojin, but I would take it over Brigade Hall. I think it's very good. Oh, yeah. I think I draw the line in between Argent Port Noble and Spire Loyalist, uh, where I would take Brigade Hall first. I think if Argent Port Noble was a single justice, there would be a big argument in my head about whether I would take it or Brigade Hall. But as a double justice, two drop, I think I would tend to take Brigade Hall first pick. Yeah, and uh, this is swayed a little bit by the fact that I'm always looking for good two drops in this format, um, and uh, and I feel a lot better about my decks when I do have strong two drops. So it just goes up in my pick order because of that, even though Brigade Hall is, is kind of like a stronger card at more points in the game in some ways. Uh, this is not. This is still a versatile card, Argent Port Noble, um, and it's a two drop in a format that has bad two drops. Yes. All right, on to Primal. Uh, number one Primal rare is Feral Serpent, which is the three Primal Primal four three flying contract three. Give Feral Serpent plus one health and Aegis. Yeah, and this thing is bananas. <laughs> it's just dumb like it's just it's just so depressing when somebody makes this on turn three uh there are cards that can deal with it like stonebreaker boat deals with it uh but it's one of the very few ways of efficiently doing it giving something aegis uh, especially a flyer is 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 very strong um and of course there's plenty of aegis in this format more than in most but the fact that this can come down on three is is uh, is just so wrong. Yeah, it's just such a fast clock and so hard to deal with, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, so this is like, this might be the card where I personally have the, the highest ratio of playing it and then winning the game. Like the strongest correlation uh, might be Feral Serpent for me. I just realized I said this card is bananas, and it does look like a banana. It's yellow and curved like a banana. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 
I think there's, uh, yeah, nothing more to say about that one. Next is Dynamite. Um, that is the six Primal Primal 7-6 with Aegis and Overwhelm. I love that this is one of Primal's best rares. <laughs> it's like the most, like, <laughs> it's it's like the least complicated rare ever. Uh, and it is good uh, because it has Aegis, so it's you can't really efficiently remove it. And then it has Overwhelm, so it's very hard to get away from it dealing some kind of damage to you. Uh, but it's it's just so dumb. It's just a six cost like beast. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. There's just yeah, it's funny that it, it it is feels so powerful. But you're like, I guess there's just like ways to give it flying or to grow it a little bit. And then if you have a trick in your hand, which you probably do because you're playing primal and you're probably playing Huru, uh, like <laughs> you know, there's plenty of tricks. There's ways of stunning your opponent's stuff. You know, there's plenty of ways to interfere with combat they can't interfere with your unit because it has aegis but they have to double block you know because you played a seven six and then anything that you do wrecks them completely and they're they're um your opponent's ability to play around that is so limited because because of the simple fact that this thing takes two spells to affect yes exactly all right, then next is Lord Thudrock, which is the five primal primal four three with inscribe summon. You may exhaust another one of your units to play a snowman with uh, attack and health equal to that unit's health. Yeah, literally just a ton of stats. That's, that's it. That's the whole card. Yeah, it it is. I yeah, it's not like super exciting to me, nope. but. Not to me either. Uh, in fact, there's definitely situations where you have Thudrock in hand and you can't keep something big on the board where it feels like a very bad card. Yes. Uh, and I wouldn't I and, agree. And it, it's below the line for me as far as like taking it over Brigade Hall. Uh, there's no question. I think Thudrock has enough situations where it's outright bad that I, I don't want to pick it over like a really solid card like Brigade Hall. Uh, no question that it feels very backbreaking when you you know played a couple turns after a zero five or something um but it's uh it, it's small for its cost itself you know four three for five is bad yeah. um and so you really need to have a deck with enough units uh that that have very very big butts uh, to make it feel like an actual bomb yeah i i agree i don't know why i might just be biased because in my last run I beat someone who played Lord Thudrock back to back against me, and so they made like two giant units. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't. They ended up not being giant. Like I killed I, the they like the first one played made like a three three snowman. I killed the Lord Thudrock, and then they played another one and made another three three snowman or whatever. And I don't know. I probably just attacked them with some flyers and then <laughs> won the game. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah exactly um and then uh this last one um is magnetize which is for me a card that i still have no idea how to evaluate so i just never pick it that is the uh three justice uh or sorry <laughs> the three primal primal uh cursed relic where it sort of permafrosts a unit and then no one's allowed to play weapons while that unit is still uh, cursed. 
Yeah, uh, it's a hard card to evaluate because it's hard to tell what effect it's having on any given game. You don't know whether your opponent has weapons in hand that they're unable to play. Um, you only learn about that anecdotally if you talk to other people who play the game and talk about how, oh yeah, that magnetized wrecked me that one time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you don't know whether that's happening. It might be. It might be why your opponent has uh, a bunch of cards in their hand and that they're not playing, or it might be that those are all sigils. You don't know. Exactly. And I think, and part of it just for me is, since permafrost exists, I just have a lot of trouble conceptualizing why I'd want to take a rare version that costs three times as much. Yeah, that's 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 how I feel about it too. It it might be effective because there are weapons in the format, um, but the the fact that it costs as much as it does, they can sacrifice the unit and get rid of it. They can kill attachments. It, it has all of the weaknesses. They can play brigade hall. They can play brigade hall and just ignore it. Um, there's a lot of things that make it a weak card and it costs three times as much as permafrost and is much harder to cast so yeah i don't actually value it that high i'm not i'm definitely not excited to see it in my opening pack as my rare yeah would you take it over like a searing fist no i would take searing fist over magnetize i think it's a better card yeah okay that's that's where i am too um how about chloric mix Cloric Mix, I would probably... Well, hmm, it's tough. I think Cloric Mix... Uh, no, Magnetize is probably a little better than Cloric Mix because you can you can remove something on your own turn, which is often what you want to do. You don't have to wait for them to attack. And it kills anything, whereas Cloric Mix has a limit. And, you know, it can kill almost anything, but not everything. Yes. All right, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good line for it. And so... But you would take Dynamite and Feral Serpent over... Brigade Hall? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, oh. I'm not happy about taking Dynamite over Brigade Hall, but I, <laughs> I'll still do it. All right. So next. Valkyrie Tormentor is a five Shadow Shadow 4-3 with Flying, Deadly, and Quick Draw, and a Contract 4. Each player discards two cards of their choice from their hand. This is the top rare. It's the one that appears the most, yeah. yeah. In this All right. I mean, it's fine. Uh, I don't think its contract ability is really relevant that often. Uh, occasionally, I mean, I've seen it really wreck someone because you somehow have managed to clear out your entire hand while they still have cards, but that's a rare enough thing. Uh, it's very hard to make a deck with a good enough curve where your five drop is the last card in your hand. I know. I just so dream. I like that's my dream. That's the only reason I pick this card is to one day have this be my last card, and for my opponent to have exactly two cards in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, and that's possible, but really unlikely. Uh, <laughs> just a 4-3 for 5 with with a million abilities is, is fine, too, you know. It's deadly. You can trade with anything, and nothing can block it in the air. Uh, it's fine. It's not huge. It's fine. Yeah, no, I know. This is kind of an interesting card. Uh, it is the number one, one shadow card in the spreadsheet, which is I don't know a testament to its actual strength, but um, but it, it, but it, it it's there. I think I do like this more than at least the chatter I hear. I know a bunch of people, you included, Alabazoo, have talked about how underwhelming it's been for them, but it's been okay for me. It, it attacks for four in the air, and it's 
I mean, I should, I should really like it because I like Ashara Deadshot so much. And Ashara is a 6-3 with Deadly and Quick Draw uh, for 5, and that's it. So it's very similar to Ashara, but it flies, and so probably better. Um, so it's like that. I mean, yeah, I, and I, 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 I wanted it to be better than Ashara significantly, uh, and it's not. It's about as good as Ashara. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that I agree with. I, but I just like it because it's also a fine blocker. It kills anything it blocks because it has deadly, and it attacks really well. Um, yeah, no, it's a solid card. It's just not sort of, I don't know, I'm not excited about it, and it's just never going to do the thing with the discard that you want it to do. Yeah, and it's a little fragile. Um, so I agree. I think it's a slightly disappointing card, but I don't make think that makes it not a good rare. No, no, of course not. Um all right, then number two in the spreadsheets, but number one in our heart is uh, Rat King, which is the three Shadow Shadow, uh, three two that plays two one one rats that can't um, block on summon, and then you can pay one once per turn to sacrifice a unit and give a unit minus one minus one. Yeah, this doesn't have a contract ability, right? Like it just gets its rats and then pays a very cheap price to sacrifice them to maybe kill something or maybe yeah. just hurt it. and doesn't exhaust itself. And doesn't exhaust itself. No. Uh, yeah. And also, it used to cost four, and it was bonkers then. <laughs> now it costs three. So you can sweet dreams it back if you're lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, yeah, it's uh, Racking's... I mean, there's just sort of the definition of uh, a versatile board control card. Just yes. use your imagination. Sometimes you can kill something with one toughness, or sometimes you can weaken things just enough so that your unit's going to attack again. Yes. Yeah, the interesting thing for me with Wrecking is that Gunner said that, uh, actually a bunch of people, because this pick came up of Wrecking versus Brigade Hall. And I, I was on Team Rat King, but there were a good number of good players who were on Team Brigade Hall in that head-to-head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's fine. Brigade Hall is always going to be a good card. <laughs> uh, but I do think that Rat King is still uh, a better card. <laughs> uh, you know, I think Rat King is in a situation that a lot of uh, cards are in where there seems to be a sacrifice theme and it's just to- almost totally unsupported in this particular format. And yeah. then when... If they sort of rework the draft pack so that sacrifice is supported better, there's more payoffs for having sacrificeable units. Suddenly, the Rat King will be the best rare in the format. You know, it'll be sort of something like that. Yes. Um, all right. And then um, I only say this one because it is number three in the spreadsheet, but that is uh, Petra Auric Launderer which is the, the five-cost inscribe uh, card for Shadow, 5SS. And it is a 0-5 with inscribe and revenge. And then a summon, you pick uh, a void, you or your opponents, and then you shuffle all the spells into your deck, and, you, and she gains that much attack. And then you get to do it again when she revenges. Yeah, she's a complicated card. Uh, I like Petra a lot, actually. Um, I'm always sort of looking for an excuse to play her. She's way better if you're playing a spell-heavy deck, obviously, because presumably you're playing spells that you want to be playing, and then they're back in your deck, so maybe you get to play them again. 
there's not really any reason to rob your opponent of their spells particularly, except that you do maybe get to play them as well if they're playing good spells. <laughs> um, you might not draw them for a while, who knows? Uh, they're shuffled into your deck. Uh, and then, of course, any revenge unit is is going to be a little bit tough to deal with. Um, but if yes. you spend five to play like a two-five with revenge, that's not exciting. Um, and it's not card advantage by itself because the spells go into your deck. They don't go into your hand. Uh, but still, like, I don't know. I'm always pretty satisfied with, with summoning Petra. So um, yeah. I, do, I do like her. Uh, yeah, I like her all right. I've actually been down on her because the last two times I've drafted her, she's kind of sat in my hand. And maybe that was a flaw in my deck building where I'm just like, do I really want to play a 2-5 right now? <laughs> you know, like... So she can sometimes not be... She's not like a great or reliable turn five play. No, she's definitely not. And I do think she's a build around where there's times when you even want to cut her because you don't have enough spells in your deck to make her reliably bigger than a two five. Yeah. And so it's just like it felt bad, like having her in my hand being like, okay, I I just want to like play all these spells first and then I'll play her when... I was like, man, if I could just have played a well-statted five drop, you know, this game could be over. Yeah, I guess you don't really want to cut her because she does have inscribed, but um, but but I think it affects where she is in your pick order uh, because of uh, there. It's not something that every deck act- actively wants. Yes, I I agree. I think um, she's probably the rare that I've played more often than she deserves, though, out of everything on this list, <laughs> just because I like her as a concept so much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And I, I feel like she goes a little late sometimes because people don't like her as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll get offered a Petra if you, you know, deserve one. <laughs> All right. And then a card that didn't make the top three, but is, I think, pretty powerful card is a Saloon Massacre, which is the two Shadow Shadow. Each unit gets minus one, minus one this turn. Contract three, they get minus one, minus four this turn instead. Yeah, I mean, it's a sweeper, and it's good. And it's cheap, and it's impossible to play around. Yeah, well, it's very hard to play around, for sure. Uh, and also, it's versatile, because you can make it a mini sweeper or a or a big sweeper. So, yeah, I mean, it is good. It's definitely a good card. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just kind of surprised that it's it's sort of not in the top three, but it's not a unit, and I guess It's also kind of hard to make sweepers work sometimes. It's just sort of difficult to get a lot of value off of them if your opponent is any good. (laughs) That's kind of of a thing. All right. And so do you want to talk about the multifaction rares? All right, let's do a couple. I guess Zoe isn't at the top of this list. What's at the top of this list? Oh, what is at the top of this list? Let me... But we can... I mean, Zoe, I think it it's Sentry, Uncountable, Ijin, and then Zoe, and then Neadria. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I think that's probably more about the fact that Sentry and the Uncountable are so much easier to play because they're just one faction of each of their colors. Yeah. Uh, so who and what's Sentry? interesting is literally up until these last 200 lists, Zoe was number one. And then it's just in the last 200 lists, no one has played a Zoe. And so it stayed stagnant while everyone else went up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, a, I think, a weird quirk. 
That is a weird quirk. I haven't seen a Huru Sentry in play or in any of my packs for a really long time. It's obviously a good card. It's a flyer that kills any other flyer. Um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with being in, in Justice Primal. But yeah, it's, that's the 4-3 uh, for 4 Justice Primal with flying and Overwhelm. Uh, it has a contract 2, which is actually reduced. I think it used to have a contract 4. Um, it has a contract 2, deal 4 damage to an enemy unit with flying. And because it has Overwhelm, that four damage also has overwhelm. So sometimes you can you can kill your opponent immediately with this. Uh, so obviously a very, very, very good card. It's fun that it's number one. I guess people are playing Uru more often, and that's part of it. I think yeah. people were playing Stone Scar almost exclusively for a while in this format, and so of course Zoe was the top rare. Yep. And then Uncountable is the two-cost one-three with Deadly, and then you can sacrifice a unit, discard a card, and pay four and exhaust it to play a uh, five-five that pings you for one. Uh, yeah, a five-five flyer. Yeah, uh, five, five, yeah flyer. And, it's, and it's in Feln. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with the uncountable. I think because it is a one-three deadly for two, it's already pretty good. Yeah, I think that's. I, I think if it had any worse stats than that, it would be kind of a bad card honestly because it really it is card disadvantage even though you are making a 5-5 impending doom that is a good card you have to you have to sacrifice two cards in order to do it and i don't know if that's always worth it it's really no, tough but I to do make think that work as a two drop late game it like the later the game goes the easier it is to do you know what i mean you start piling yeah. up sigils and then if you've built your deck around it you know, so like people, I think people get turned off by because it reads like a lot of hoops. But then, you know, you're thinking, you're, but your two drop is doing that, which is, you know, quite a lot for a two drop to do. Oh, sure. It's fine. It's a fine card. I've just haven't, I've, I've played against them pretty often and I haven't lost to them very often. And so I don't think of it as like one of the really scary rares. Mm. Uh, but it's fine. It's totally fine. Even if it were just a one, three for two with deadly, it would be fine. It would be like, oh, yay, I get to play this thing. Um, and the fact that it can also sort of take over the game later, great. Uh, it's a good card. I, I just sort of, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the second best multi-faction rare in the format. Yeah. And then maybe uh, it is. next is maybe I it is, and I'm wrong. Four Firefire Justice. Oh, should I not do this? No, that's okay. Yeah, no, no, you go ahead. Okay. The four Firefire Justice Justice uh, four four with pay one and exhaust Igen to play a four four Mithril uh, weapon on one of your units that attack this turn. Contract four play two one two Oni Samurai with Warcry. Yeah, uh, it get, this is one of those cards where it obviously takes over the game when you play it, but I think the fact that it costs two Fire two Justice makes it so it's like fine, like it's a stupid powerful rare. That's pretty hard to actually play. Um, you kind of have to warp your draft around it if you want to play it. And then the payoff is that you get to win games with it single-handedly. It's fine. That's part of draft. Uh, it comes with its own army. Uh, your opponent can't afford to let anything attack without dying forever. <laughs> because if they let something through once, it's coming back with plus four, plus four next turn. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big problem. Um you can definitely win against an engine uh, if if you have your defenses up, uh, but if it if it uh, God forbid uh, comes down on turn five after something already has attacked 
and doesn't bother contracting and then immediately gives something plus four plus four, well, you're done. Yes, exactly. I agree. Um, and then I think this is a, a great final card to end this show on, and that is Zoe, Zoe Conqueror of Stonescar, the six fire fire shadow shadow five five dragon with flying revenge. When Zoe, Zoe hits the enemy player, deal five damage to an enemy unit. Yeah, uh, it, very hard to kill because it has revenge. It's already a five five flyer uh, for six, which is a fine fine size for something to be uh and then of course uh, if you can't Im- if your opponent can't immediately deal with it then it completely ends the game like it gets card advantage every turn after that there's almost nothing that can uh survive getting five damage done to it and this gets through pretty easily because it's a flyer this was the card um other than field medic that i when I when I saw it, because I didn't like look at the cards before I started playing the format, I was just like, ah, I'll just jump in and see what happens. And then when I saw someone first summon Zoe against me, I was like, what? What? What is wrong with Direwolf that they would make this exist? Why isn't this a legendary? How is it possible to beat this thing? And it turns out that it's a six drop, and therefore, you know, it's a six drop rare, and so you don't actually see it that often. That's the only reason it's okay that this exists. Yeah, man, I do see this a surprising amount for how hard you would think it would be to cast and put in your deck. But I every think time I'm up against the Stone Scar deck, I'm like, yeah, it's probably a Joe in there, so I should probably try to kill them before the, before it, it, it comes down. So I don't have any answers for it because there's almost no answers for it. Yeah, yeah, incredibly powerful card. Uh, maybe the most frustrating card <laughs> in the format. Uh, even though, it, like you said, it is balanced a little bit by how hard it is to cast, and that it is a six drop. But even every way to kill it just feels bad because it's just coming back if you don't kill them. Oh yeah, oh it's really dumb. It's a really bad card to play against. Yeah. All right, so I think that's our show. There are a bunch of other good multifaction rares, but you don't have to look them up yourself. Iadra, Delif, there's some fun cards for sure. And I think both of them, I take. I don't know. I don't know if you take Yadra over Brigade Hall. I think so. I think it wins games single-handedly. That if I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I might because Life Steal Unblockable is pretty a pretty yeah. powerful way to end a game too. Oh yeah, I'm amazed that they put Life Steal and Unblockable on a card. Honestly, <laughs> it's very fragile. Like Delif likes nothing more than to die. Uh, but even then, you get a you get an Invoke, which is another broken ability. <laughs> it's like yeah. two broken things on one card. Yeah, you really, the only thing, it's Bane is uh, Unseen Marksman. That's what you're... Yeah, Unseen Marksman is real bad, and you can kill it with killer or relic weapons. So it's vulnerable enough that it doesn't feel like an absolutely insane card. But it's very good. I'll take it over almost anything. Yeah, agreed. All right, so that's our show. Thanks again to all our patrons for making this show a success. Thank you, Hats, for coming on and talking these rares with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you who are not a not patrons a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on itunes stitcher and google play you can join us in our discord there's a link in the show notes thank you to all the new people that have joined up and new listeners we really appreciate it and thanks for ch- coming on to the discord and chatting it's been a lot of fun the last few weeks and finally thumbs up all of raven dragon's reddit posts and don't forget to send in all your seven win deck lists you do this week 
to farmingeternal at gmail.com or the Discord. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night. Goodbye.